This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway, publisher of the ESV Teen Study Bible. Our current culture possesses an endless number of distractions and temptations, which is why having faithful and accessible biblical resources for teens is more important than ever. The ESV Teen Study Bible, edited by Pastor John Nielsen, provides numerous study and resource materials, including 12,000 study notes, more than 350 devotions, and 200 applicational and doctrinal sidebars to help define key doctrines. These features and more will facilitate deep engagement with the scriptures, impacting the minds, hearts, and lives of teen followers of Christ. Pick up a copy of the ESV Teen Study Bible wherever books are sold, or visit crossway.org plus to find out how you can get 30% off. You're listening to the Gospel Coalition Podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. Today, you'll hear from Danny Aiken on Little Global Hearts, how to give kids a vision for the world. This message was first delivered at TGC's 2019 National Pre-Conference in Indianapolis. Little Global Hearts how to give our children a vision for the world, building Great Commission families. Two texts that are going to drive my study this morning. The first I will read now and the other in the body of the message, but it is the Great Commission passage found in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all the ethnes, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those of you that have studied that text know that there is only a single imperative, make disciples, but orbiting about that imperative are three important words, going, baptizing, and teaching, and because of their close proximity to that imperative, I believe they rightly have an imperatival force. We are to go. We are to baptize, and we are to teach. Last words are meant to be lasting words. Last words convey what a person thinks is important. And of all the things that Jesus could have talked about before he ascended back into heaven, he talked about the great commission, getting the gospel to every ethne, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. In the process, he promised us that we would have his his presence until the very end of the age. Those who are committed to the Great Commission rightly focus on what we call the outer edges of lostness, what missiologists call the underserved, the unreached, and the unengaged people groups of the world. Today, if you consult either the Joshua Project, for example, on one hand, 
or the International Mission Board or the Southern Baptist Convention on the other, you will discover the following. There's approximately 7.59 billion people on planet Earth today among 17,043 distinct people groups. 7,078 are still unreached which adds up to somewhere, depending on how you count the numbers, between 3.1 and 3.5 billion people. In 1900, half of the world's population would fall into the category of unreached. This is the year 2019. Half of the world's population is still unreached. With all of our money, With all of our technology, with access, and still half of the world's population falls into the category of unreached. It's hard to believe that you and I still live in a world where you and I could go into certain countries, be dropped by parachute or helicopter, hit the ground, start walking, and we would walk days, weeks, even months. We would never encounter a church we would never even meet a Christian. And so I believe it is right. In fact, it is imperative for us to give focus to the underserved and the unreached and the unengaged peoples of the world. Obedience to Christ demands it. And our love for neighbor demands it as well. However, and I believe this is very crucial, I think obeying the Great Commission should begin in the home, though it certainly should not in there. Parents and grandparents, by what they teach and how they live, should model for their children a passionate obedience to the Great Commission. And arguing that obedience to the Great Commission should begin in the home is strategic. After all, both good theology and good missiology are more taught than they are taught, though both are involved. So there's a vital role that moms and dads and grandparents play in conveying and modeling for their children who by God's grace and for his glory will follow in their footsteps. And to emphasize this cannot be said too strongly. You see, most children, in spite of what the secularists will tell us, they do look up to, They do admire and they do follow in their parents' footsteps. What you love, they will love. What you value, they will value. What you have a passion for, they will have a passion for. After all, survey after survey after survey reveals when asked, who is your hero? Children and teenagers alike say, my heroes are my mom and my dad. So here's my question for this morning. What do we do to embed a Great Commission DNA into our children so that they will have a lifetime passion for that which is the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to be very, very practical in the remainder of my time, and I'm going to put out 10 very simple principles that I would commend to you for your consideration. Number one, we should be incarnational in our parenting. We should be incarnational in our parenting. Missionary David Livingston said, and I quote, this generation can only reach this generation, but what will raise our children to effectively impact their generation for Jesus Christ? 
Robert Coleman, who for many years taught at Trinity, said the ultimate goal of Jesus for his disciples was that his life be produced in them and through them into the lives of others. We know that the incarnation is a manifestation of God's love for us. In fact, I taught my children, how do we know that God loves us? Well, one of the ways we know that God loves us is he entered into our world. He got down on our level and came into our world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Our incarnational love for our children models God's incarnational love for us. So wise parents step back on a regular basis and they ask this simple question, how are my children looking at life right now? Given their age, given their sex, given their personality, given their interest, given their friends, how do my children look at life? And we love them well by getting down on their level and entering into their world. And folks, never forget that long distance parenting is a pipe dream. It is not true and it does not work. Number two. You can instill in your children a great commission passion by the way you love your mate. In a letter to his wife, Anne, missionary Aaron Adam Judson wrote, and I quote, if such exquisite delights as we have enjoyed with one another are allowed to sinful creatures on earth, what must the joys of heaven be? Great partners almost always make great parents. Why? because the number one need in the life of a child related to love is security. Nothing brings security in the life of a child like knowing and seeing before their very eyes, my dad loves my mom, my mom loves my dad, and they're always going to be here for me. Children, I believe, should learn about God's love for the nations by the way they see their parents loving one another. And never forget that the Bible utilizes very powerfully the imagery of the bride and the bridegroom. Number three, you need to spend time with your children. In addressing the importance of childhood uh, and parenting, the missionary Hudson Taylor said, at no other time is there greater capacity for devotion or more pure, uncalculated ambition in the service of God. And apparently, Hudson Taylor's parents took the time because early in his life, they instilled a missionary devotion so that, listen to this, at the tender age of five, Hudson Taylor said, when I am a man, I mean to be a missionary to China. By the way, Jim Elliott surrendered to be a missionary as a teenager. Bill Wallace surrendered to be a missionary as a teenager. Our teenagers are not fools. They're not dumb. And it is not too young for them already to be thinking about who they're going to be, what they're going to do, and what are we as parents encouraging them to pray about, to think about, and to consider. I believe a second text that undergirds what we need to understand as Great Commission parents is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Most of us are familiar with the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. 
but not as many are familiar with what follows in verses seven through nine. You shall teach them, that is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, the fulfillment of this parental charge requires a serious investment of our time with our children. So what's the problem? Focus on the family took a survey back in the late 1990s. I saw a secular survey about 10 years ago and nothing had changed. So I assume the same is still true today. On average, on average, Five-year-olds spend somewhere between 25 and 35 minutes a week with their dads, but they spend 20 to 25 hours a week with a television set or what we now call technological babysitters. 25 to 35 minutes a week with their dad, 20 to 25 hours a week with a TV or another type of technological babysitter. That may explain this. Reader's Digest took a survey some years ago four and five-year-olds, and I asked them this very simple question. If you had to vote to give away either your television set or your daddy, which would you vote to give away? And 33%, one in three said, I'd rather give away my daddy than I would my TV. One man, in reflecting upon his childhood, actually sat down and wrote this, and it went into a local newspaper, speaking to his parents as an adult. You didn't take care of me, you sent me to daycare. You didn't feed me, you sent me to McDonald's. You didn't study with me, you bought me a computer. You didn't talk to me, you bought me a stereo. You didn't look at me, you bought me a TV. You did not play with me, you bought me toys. Now that I'm grown and you are old, why should I come and see you? I don't even know who you are. And I often say that love is a beautiful four-letter word, but sometimes I think we spell it best this way, T-I-M-E. So fathers in particular, what kind of projection of the heavenly father are you giving your children in terms of the time that you invest in them? Number four, learn to listen to your children. James 1.19 tells us, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Moms and dads, do you know your children's heart? Do you know what concerns them? Do you know what interests them? Do you know what matters to them? And Dunnigan rightly notes, quote, often an adult may ask a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? But as a missions-minded parent and teacher, our typical question could have the potential of directing a child toward a total obedience to God and complete surrender to his purposes. We should say perhaps something like this. Oh, I wonder what exciting plans God has prepared for your life. When you grow up, will you do whatever God wants you to do? Hearing the heart of your child may happen in regular, normal, casual conversations, but moms and dads, there should never be anything casual about our listening. Get with your children, turn off the TV, put away the smartphone, put away the iPad, eye to eye, ear to hear, heart to heart. And by locking in in that kind of a way, you're saying to your children, I think what you think is important. And I am here 
to listen. Number five, read missionary biographies to your children. Follow the biblical pattern of knowing the heroes of the faith that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. There is power and inspiration in story. Uh, My son, Jonathan, named his son Judson after Adoniram Judson. My son, Paul, who worked for the National Mission Board today, named his son Micah Elliott, honoring the memory and missionary Jim Elliott. They're indeed wonderful and worthy role models for cultivating a missional life by biography. And I would argue very strongly that missionary heroes should be a regular staple of the spiritual diet of your children. There are a number of websites that make this very easy. The Children's Corner website has brief vignettes of Christian missionary biographies. There you find the stories of Jim Elliott, Amy Carmichael, Eric Little, Adonai Judson, David Livingston, Hudson Taylor, Nate Saint, William Carey, and many, many, many more. So take advantage of these wonderful, marvelous, inspirational stories of regular men and women just like you and me through whom God did extraordinary things. Number six, expose your children to missionaries and their lives by having them in your home, sharing a meal with them, listening to their stories. It's difficult to overstate the impact of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot on modern missions. Elizabeth was the child of missionary parents. Jim notes in his uh, uh, in his. Uh, 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 writings that he had uh, a father that particularly directed his life in terms of spiritual interest and spiritual formation and ultimately missions. John Stamm, another missionary martyred in China, had parents who ran the Star of Hope mission in Patterson, New Jersey. Betty Stamm, his wife, also martyred, was born into a missionary family. Her other four siblings also all became missionaries just like Betty. In one of her writings, she said, and I quote, all five of us children expected to return to China as missionaries. Our parents never urged it. It just seemed the natural and the right thing to do. And these stories can be multiplied a thousand times over. Number seven, go on mission trips and take your children with you. Begin wisely with short-term trips and trips that have easier access. Then move to midterm trips and conditions that are more difficult. After all, most career missionaries first caught the missionary bug on a short-term missions trip. What does it look like then for a child? Watching mom and dad on the mission field, being there with them, what does it look like then for a child over time to be infected with what I call the missionary disease? Well, again, in the book, The Mission-Minded Child, Ann Dunnigan says it like this. A mission-minded child dreams of fulfilling God's destiny. A mission-minded child may want to be a missionary or a teacher or a doctor or a newspaper reporter or a state governor or a pastor or a business person or an airline pilot or an author or a florist or a mother as long as it's what God wants. A mission-minded child prays for the next door neighbor. A mission-minded child is not a picky eater. Well, they may be, but they'll get over it. A mission-minded child takes home a photo magnet from the visiting missionary family and puts it on the kitchen refrigerator. A mission-minded child spends a summer night sleeping outside on the trampoline, gazing up at the sky filled with twinkling stars and realizes God's plan is infinitely bigger than his or her own backyard. 
A mission-minded child imagines rollerblading on the Great Wall of China. A mission-minded child recognizes the names of David Livingston and Amy Carmichael and Hudson Taylor and Lauren Cunningham. A mission-minded child learns how to use chopsticks. A mission-minded child puts extra money in the monthly missions offering and feels really good about it. A mission-minded child thinks it would be fun to sleep in a mud hut in Africa. A mission-minded child reads all the way through the Bible by the age of 10 or 11 or 12 and is excited to start over and do it again. A mission-minded child stares at the photos in the New Geography textbook or magazine and imagines climbing to the top of the Egyptian pyramid, snorkeling in those tropical blue waters, giving a new outfit to that poor boy with the ripped up shirt. A mission-minded child befriends the new kid at school. A mission-minded child thinks beyond the box of what's merely expected and hopes to do something big or even something little for God. And a mission-minded child wants to obey the Lord even when no one else is looking. Number eight, teach your children about what the Bible says about missions. Teach them, for example, the beautiful grand redemptive storyline of the Bible and be very precise about it in terms of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Raise the questions for them to consider. Who am I? What went wrong? How did God fix it? And what is my role in this drama? Where am I going? And in particular, Teach your children that the greatest missionary who ever lived was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived was the Apostle Paul. And for those of us that love and are driven by theology, never forget, Paul was a missionary before he was a theologian. And Paul's theology is missionary theology. Number nine, pray for the nations and missionaries by name. A.B. Simpson said, prayer is the mighty engine that is to move the missionary work. A.T. Pearson said, every step in the progress of missions is directly traceable to prayer. So pray systematically for the world. Every morning, this morning, no different. I get a email from the Joshua Project that gives me information about the status of an unreached people group in the world. And every morning, seven days a week, I pray for that specific unreached people group. Adopt a, as a family an unreached people group. Adopt a nation where the gospel is desperately needed. Pray for India. Pray for China. Pray for Afghanistan. Pray for Vietnam. Pray for South Sudan. Adopt a specific missionary and pray and serve them as well. There's so many ways for us to pray well for the nations. And then finally, number 10, model missional living as a life priority before your children. David Shibley, founder of Global Advance, says, and I quote, God is not calling us to win the world and in the process lose our families. But I have known those who so enshrined family life and were so protective of quality time that the children never saw in their parents the kind of consuming love that made their parents' faith attractive to them. Some have lost their children, not because they weren't at the soccer games or didn't take family vacations, but because they never transmitted a loyalty to Jesus that went deep enough to interrupt their personal preferences. So seven questions as I move to close. Question number one, are you a member of a Great Commission church? And if not, why not? Number two, do you have a passport? And if you don't, 
Why not? You can't go to the nations without a passport. Number three, how often do you do national and international missions? Number four, and this one's hard, do you pray that your children and your grandchildren might someday become overseas missionaries? Number five, do you give annually to missions? Do you give sacrificially? Number six, and this is one my wife and I adopted a few years ago, never thought about it until a person put it before us. Do you have a missions savings account set up for your children and your grandchildren? I don't for my children because they're now grown, but we do have a mission savings account set up for our 12 and soon to be 13 grandchildren and grandmama and granddaddy are gonna make the biggest gift to when they go on their very first missions trip. And number seven, do you have a great commission ministry in your will? Planning so that you can continue to play a vital role in reaching the nations after you are dead and gone. One of my heroes is a man named James Frazier. James Frazier was a brilliant, brilliant uh, student in uh, England. He was an accomplished uh, engineer and also a very gifted concert pianist. And he had a wonderful career mapped out for him. But in his senior year, a friend of him gave him a little gospel track. We would call it today a little gospel booklet. And James Frazier read that little booklet and it so changed his heart that he did not stay in England. He did not become an engineer and make a lot of money. He did not become a well-known concert pianist, but he moved to Western China in the Himalaya mountains where he worked with what I playfully call uh, the Chinese hillbillies, the Lisu people group. They were totally unreached and unengaged and he would spend the rest of his life there. Today, any reputable missions organization will tell you that there's somewhere between 300 and 400,000 Lisu believers all begun by the work of James Frazier who was there for five years before he even had a single convert. What in the world did he read that so radically altered and changed the trajectory of his life? I closed with what he read. It came from a little track entitled, Do Not Say, and I quote, A command has been given. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It has not been obeyed. More than half the people in the world have never yet heard the gospel. This was 1900, by the way. What are we to say to this? Surely it should concern us Christians very seriously, for we are the people who are responsible. If our master returned today to find millions of people unevangelized, and looked as, of course, he would look to us for an explanation. I cannot imagine what explanation we should have to give of one thing I am certain. Most of the excuses that we are accustomed to make with such a good conscience now, we will be wholly ashamed of them then. The Great Commission is not an option to consider. It is a command to be obeyed. Let our obedience then begin with, but not end, with those closest and dearest to us. Let it begin in our homes and let it begin with the little hearts of our children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be a part of what you're doing in bringing every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to the throne of the Lamb. 
Lord, I thank you that Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 is indeed the great missionary promise that in that day, in your kingdom, there are going to be people represented from every single tribe. Lord, you have promised us in your word that is going to happen. So for us, the issue is really quite simple. Will we be a part of what God is passionate for or will we sit on the sidelines and watch? Lord, I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines. I want to be right there in the middle of what you're doing. And Lord, I want that to be true for my children. And I want that to be true for my grandchildren as well. So Lord, may I pray for them, as Lig so well said. May I model and provide an example for them. And may I teach them that indeed the Great Commission DNA will run throughout their bodies all the days you give them life, that they might indeed bring great honor and glory to King Jesus by fulfilling and being obedient to his final marching orders to his church. This we ask for our good, but ultimately for your great glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org.